DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. And we're back with On Second Thought from Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Virginia Prescott. Earlier this month, President Trump toured the U.S.-Mexico border. In his press conference afterwards, he made headlines. Our country is full. Our area is full. The sector is full. Can't take you anymore. I'm sorry. Can't happen. So turn around. That's the way it is. Fact-checkers were quick to counter that declaration. They cited an aging and shrinking workforce, as well as America's slowing population growth, now at its lowest level since 1937. We're going to hear shortly from two people working to reverse that trend in Atlanta and in Macon. But first to Sonia Hurt. She has an explanation on why some Americans, including the president, feel like our country is full. She's dean of the University of Georgia's College of Environment and Design and joining us from Athens. Hello, Sonia. Hello. Well, let's start with the president's claim. He says the nation is full. You say what? Well, metaphorically, it could be a very effective way of putting um, this idea. I mean, factually, the country is not full because um, the share of land in the United States that is uh, urbanized is still in the single digits. That doesn't mean that we should really fill it all, and that would be impossible because, you know, a lot of it is actually inaccessible or the mountains and forests and protected areas. Uh, but factually speaking, I don't think that you can make the claim that the country is full. So I think if you take the sta- statement um, in a more nuanced way, um, I think the idea perhaps is that, um, you know, if you um, – uh, if more people come to the country from other countries, uh, maybe the services that we offer will be too stretched. Uh, there will be potentially an economic burden. So all these things could lead to an argument that we are full, but that would only be true metaphorically. Well, right. So you study cultural attitudes or perceptions of population density. Why do you think so many Americans, including the president, do feel like we're cramped for space or, as you said, that we're just cramped for services. Too much is being done and we can't expend any more. Uh, well, this is a long-standing um, American tradition that probably goes back to colonial times. And, um, you know, some of the people who uh, were the first to develop uh, America's cities, like William Penn, the founder of Philadelphia, uh, back in the day dreamed that the United, the, the new country, if it were to be a country ever, um, would be different from what he knew of in Europe because all its towns would be made to be suitable for country gentlemen. Um, And you can look at the writings of many of the founding fathers uh, who were very concerned about ever-reaching European densities um, in cities, um, assuming that such densities would actually lead to a corrupt government. So for a very, very long time, um, the American promise for good or bad, was somewhat um, inherently related to the idea of space, that the individual family uh, will have more space than they could have in other countries, and American towns would be different from those in other countries because they would be more spatially generous. Um, so there is, a, I think, a strong cultural historical component to it. Um, and to an extent, this was premised on geography, indeed, as compared to uh, many other countries, 
per uh, person, um, America is more uh, spatially endowed. But it isn't just the presence of, spa of space, because actually there are other countries uh, which are even more sparsely populated than ours, and their cities are still very dense. So it's not space itself, but rather, but rather it's perception and how it's intertwined with history and culture that gives people this idea. But the truth of the matter is that uh, potentially, um, it's a difficult comparison to make, but um, American metropolitan areas are of lower density than those anywhere else in the industrialized world. Sonia, I'm going to stop um, you there so because I know that we ha we want to get to our other guests, but I appreciate yes, your time. absolutely. Sonia Hurt, she's dean of UGA's College of Environment and Design. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Now we want to turn to a couple of people who are working hard to increase their city's population and density. Joining me on the line from GPB Macon is Josh Rogers, president and CEO of Newtown Macon. It's a nonprofit public-private partnership with the goal of restoring and establishing downtown Macon as a center of economic, cultural, and social activity. Josh, thanks so much. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Also with us in the studio, Tim Keene. Honored to have you here, Commissioner of City Planning for the City of Atlanta. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Well, let's start with Josh. Is Macon full? I mean, what is the population <laughs> growth trend there? Yeah, well, the last census was actually the first census where we didn't lose population in the last uh, 60 years. So our, our population is just stabilized, and I'm, I'm betting the next census is going to show our first uh, significant growth uh, since the 1950s. And uh, how about Atlanta, Tim? Is the city full? Well, the city's way closer to empty than it is full. Really? Honestly, yes. Um, Atlanta is a small city in a big region. In 1970, the city's population was 496,000 in a region of 1.7 million. Today, we're 485,000 in a region of 6 million. So it feels like a dense city. It feels certainly like there's plenty of traffic. Well, it's the opposite of a dense city. It's a, it's a low-dense place, this region is. And it's one of the reasons we have the problems we have. Um, Atlanta will be better, and this is the way cities are. Cities are better with more people. And the problems that we face that are the most difficult problems, let's mention mobility and affordability, for instance, are easier to address with more people. We need to cram people into Atlanta, honestly. So how and, many more people can the city afford? Well, we, we, we're designing for a city of 1.2 million. We're at 485,000, as I said today, and feel that we can achieve that over the next generation of growth. And that's why there are so many construction cranes and so many apartment buildings going up all over Atlanta. Yeah, when you see construction cranes and apartment buildings and disruptions to the traffic flow on streets because of construction, you should smile. This is a city being successful. <laughs> okay, try and convince me, Tim. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, Josh, this is not quite what's happening in Macon, although the population, as you said, is growing. But when did that population decline begin that you spoke of? Yeah, it began uh, in the 1960s. Uh, we peaked in, in the 1950 census and then had a pretty precipitous decline. And, and really, that was just um, a similar trend of the suburbanization of all of America. But I, I agree with Tim that density solves almost every other problem. And that's certainly how we're designing ourselves now, is to be enticing for a walkable neighborhood and a high quality of life in a dense downtown area. Tell me some of the characteristic of density. I mean, what we're seeing more of is that sort of, you know, first floor of a place is, is, is commercial, then there's residential up above. Is that what we're talking about, that things are mixed use? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think the last, say, generation of um, 
you know, Euclidean zoning where everything was uh, discrete from each other was just a minor blip in the history of human city building. And, and really mixed use is what people prefer. So we're seeing the pendulum swing back really quickly to people preferring walkable urban neighborhoods with apartments upstairs and an active street life on the sidewalk. So when it comes to revitalizing Macon's downtown and increasing residents, this is Newtown's top focus. Is it longtime Maconites or out-of-towners that you're trying to attract into yeah, the city it, center? It is mostly out-of-towners. Uh, more than 60% of our new residents downtown, where the population has doubled in the past three years, are moving to us from outside of our region. And 80% of that population are um, millennials. So um, we're doing really well with um, young people who are looking for a walkable neighborhood with restaurants, bars, and housing. Uh, entertainment uh, and jobs all right there at their doorstep. So how about in Atlanta, Tim? Is it uh, suburbanites or people from elsewhere in Georgia well, that you well, want to draw to the city? The first thing is to not lose population, of course, that the people that live here are not leaving. And that is the case now, which is good. And that's the most important thing. And then attracting people that are in other parts of the region, but people especially that are moving here because the Atlanta Regional Commission is projecting that our region will grow by 2.5 million people over that next generation of growth, 25 to 40 years. So that's the equi equivalent of adding Charlotte and its region to ours over that period of time. So you're talking about a tremendous amount of change. And what we're suggesting, and this is kind of a public service announcement, is that the city should grow in a way that it never has during that period of time as the region grows at that scale. So how should it grow? Well, to the, that's what we're, we're targeting this 1.2 million. That's what we're designing the city for is 1.2 million, 485,000 today. And again, because what makes cities better than suburbs is that they're cities. You know, we, we can't beat the suburbs at being suburban. We, we can be a better city and, and Atlanta wins when it focuses on that, which is a city is a lively place with all kinds of people, diverse people of all income levels and backgrounds. That's what makes a city exciting and successful. So we, we need people. We welcome that. And, and it's a help. It's, it's what will allow Atlanta to be successful. How about there in Macon, Josh? What are you doing to get new people to come to Macon? Are there, you know, tax incentives? Are there other deals besides creating the environment that you want or people want to live in? No, no. I, I'd say the number one uh, way we do it is through quality of life and not through incentives. Um, the incentive that we're able to offer people is a really high quality of life in a walkable neighborhood, which unfortunately has become um, an unusual and precious commodity. So really what we focus on is just having the infrastructure of uh, local businesses and um, cool, uh, trendy loft housing um, and knitting that together in a, um, a thriving commercial district where everything you have is um, is just walking distance away. Well, revitalization is being tried in cities and towns across the South, but gentrification is never too far behind. Is that something that you are concerned about, Josh, displacing people who cannot afford higher rents and taxes that do come with spiffing things up? 
There's a, no, absolutely not. Gentrification is not something I worry about. There's an, another term, maybe inclusive housing uh, policy, that is something I worry about. For Macon, uh, downtown had been almost entirely abandoned. So when we're luring people back to move in, there is no displacement. They're taking up previously abandoned space, which is a pretty good formula um, for revitalizing community. Now there's a whole separate conversation to be, to be had about whether every neighborhood in the country ought to include um, an economically diverse population population. And um, if we're going to start down that path, I think the first place to look at neighborhoods that are failing to provide inclusive housing is not downtowns, it's um, the suburban areas that we've uh, allowed developers to build over the last 50 years. So what do you hear there? Well, I mean, you know, we're very concerned about gentrification. And the thing is that we're very intentional about it, protecting people that are in the city today and ensuring that there's not forcible displacement of people as we grow. That's critically important to the city of Atlanta and to Mayor Bottoms. That's part of our focus as a city. But the problem is if you, if you try to restrict the growth of the city and population, you've made your challenge around gentrification harder. It is cities that, that try to stop growth from happening that have the biggest gentrification issue and, and are the hardest to live in for lower income people. Because it costs more money because Absolutely. the housing is limited. No question about it. Think about downtown Atlanta. Downtown Atlanta should have hundreds of thousands of people living there. Every person that we can have living in downtown Atlanta, Atlanta is a amazing benefit to the community. And and it does not displace people. We're talking in downtown Atlanta about a place that is unoccupied to to much too large a degree. Um, and so this isn't just growth for growth's sake. It's, it's being intentional in designing a city such that with more people, it becomes a better place. But how about the promises that have, you know, of inclusive housing along the Beltline or affordable housing along the Beltline that haven't been fulfilled? Well, I think, I don't think that that's exactly true. The, there, there's amazing efforts. We just, Mayor Bottoms um, cut the ribbon on Friday last week of uh, uh, over 100 apartments right at the foot of the existing West Side Beltline. That's just one example of many where there's new affordable housing being built and uh, affordable housing being built and protected along the Beltline and other parts of the city. This is, this is one of Atlanta's um, most important priorities. And, and we're looking at doing, doing it in ingenious ways. You know, there isn't one way to do this. There isn't one housing type. There isn't one design. There's not one way to finance. We have to get a lot more, as I said, ingenious about how we do this, and that's what Atlanta's working on. Well, one of the things we heard from Professor Sonia Hurd is, you know, there are new buildings, there are new schools, there are new roads, and more that are, need to accommodate, and also social services. Is Atlanta prepared to, and we'll ask the same of Macon, but to grow in those ways to support this growing population that we need in this city, as well, I'm hearing from you? Absolutely. I mean, and, and Think about this. We have so much of the infrastructure that we need in Atlanta. Really, our infrastructure su supports a much larger population than we have. So we're we're in great shape in Atlanta with regard to the the infrastructure, the services we need to accommodate a much larger population. And here's an example of how possible this is. Over the last generation of growth, Gwinnett County added. 720 to 30,000 people. In Gwinnett County, when that growth started, was small farms and had no infrastructure. 
and, and they were able to take on that scale of growth. Well, in Atlanta's case, we have the infrastructure. This is where we should be having more people living and working, is in the city where we've already, as a community, invested so much money in our roads and our schools and all these other things that we need to be a healthy place. I still think that uh, many people who are sitting in traffic right now might argue with you or disagree that we are uh, where the city is accommodating Here, all this growth. Here's the thing about the traffic, okay? This is something that cities, this has been a constant in cities, traffic. If you're worried about getting rid of traffic, you're going to be very disappointed because in every city throughout time, traffic gets worse. That's what happens in cities. As a matter of fact, we always end up in the top 10 of cities in the world. When it comes to congestion, we tend to fall between London and Paris. Hmm. If you look at them, it's often the case. And those cities have amazing transit systems right. and are wonderful to walk in, have done great with cycling, and their traffic is still horrific. There's no future without traffic. The issue is that we as a city can transform our streets and make them for people that are walking and riding bikes and going to transit, we can do that and, and, and have great satisfaction with the place we've made. We cannot reduce congestion. That's not a future that's possible in cities, but we can remake our streets. Tim Keene, thank you so much for speaking with us. Sure. Tim Keene is Commissioner of City Planning for the City of Atlanta. Josh, I'm sorry we have to end it there, but I wanna thank you so much for speaking with us. Yeah, absolutely, I enjoyed it.